From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News. Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week are VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent Cindy Sane and VOA Executive Producer Steve Reddish. Welcome, Cindy and Steve. Thank you. Well, here are the issues. President Joe Biden announced that the U.S. will ban all Russian oil imports, toughening the toll on Russia's economy in retaliation for its invasion of Ukraine. The U.K. and E.U. both announced less immediate Russian oil and gas cutoffs. Media reports say that Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates have not responded to outreach from the White House about pumping more of their oil to help bring down prices. U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris arrived in Poland's capital, Warsaw, as the Biden administration and its NATO allies debated the best ways to fortify Ukraine while avoiding being drawn directly into the fighting. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has called on NATO to impose a no-fly zone over Ukraine to limit attacks from Russian warplanes, a request the West has firmly rejected. And the U.S. House of Representatives passed a massive government bill that includes about $14 billion in emergency funding to boost humanitarian, security and economic assistance for Ukraine and Central European allies amid the Russian invasion. The U.N. Refugee Agency, UNHCR, says more than 1.5 million people, mostly women and children, have fled Ukraine to neighboring countries since the invasion began on February 24th. In Washington, D.C., the first January 6th Capitol riot defendant to go on trial has been found guilty by a jury. 49-year-old Guy Reffitt of Texas was found guilty on all five charges he faced. It is widely believed that the verdict will give prosecutors additional leverage in plea negotiations with other defendants. Well, those are the issues, and let's get started. Cindy, President Joe Biden announced that the U.S. will ban all Russian oil imports, toughening the toll on Russia's economy in retaliation for its invasion of Ukraine. So really, what does this mean for Putin and what will it mean for Americans? Yes, Kim, Russian President Vladimir Putin is finding himself facing some very, very tough and united Western economic sanctions with a lot of private companies pulling out from McDonald's to Amazon to Starbucks. And then these tough sanctions from the West with the United States stopping the import of all Russian energy, oil, gas and coal. And the UK saying it will stop the import of oil by the end of 2022 and the EU, which is, of course, more dependent on Russian oil, saying that it will reduce and try to start working on other solutions to phase it out. So this is hitting Putin hard. We have seen the ruble basically destroyed. It is worth less than one penny in the dollar. Putin is facing very, very tough sanctions. Of course, as you said, for the U.S., and Steve can probably talk a bit more about that, this ban on Russian oil and all the uncertainty going along with the Russian invasion of Ukraine is causing gas prices to spike for Americans very noticeably. You know, I've heard a lot of people talking about, well, did you really have to fill up the car this week? It's getting to be a major deal just to fill up the gas tank. It's been very interesting to see how the attack on Ukraine, how it is 
affecting the body politic here in the United States. Biden was not going to ban Russian oil. Gas prices were already going up here in the United States based on a lot of supply chain issues, as well as concern about the Ukraine-Russia issue that sent gas prices skyrocketing several weeks ago. So Biden was not going to do this. He got bipartisan pressure once the pictures started coming back from Ukraine showing bombed out residences and the refugees just streaming out of the country. Bipartisan pressure on Biden forced this. And Biden was afraid politically that more higher gas prices is going to equal bad politics coming November. However, it seems one of the few issues that Americans can agree on. Several recent polls show Americans back the ban. They are for the ban on Russian fuel even if it means paying higher gas prices. So that is just really interesting to see how in a divided America, how this overseas aggression by Russia into Ukraine has united Americans against Russia and for Ukraine to the point where, yeah, we'll pay a little higher gas prices if it means punishing Russia. Yes. And also, Cindy, you've been covering a broader oil diplomacy story involving Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates and Washington, D.C. So what is the status of President Biden's reaching out to these oil producing countries? Right, Kim. There were some very interesting reports from several sources that President Biden, realizing that, as Steve said, with just the atrocities that we're seeing and the American people and people all over the world upset about seeing pictures of Russia bombing a maternity hospital in Ukraine and just millions of refugees streaming out of the country has affected everyone. So Biden was probably trying to get out in front of this. And reports say that he had reached out to the Saudi the Arabian Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and to the leaders of the United Arab Emirates and wanted to have a conversation about the Gulf states and OPEC increasing their production, pumping more oil, basically, to get out in front of any sort of shortages. But the reports at least say that the Saudi crown prince refused to take Biden's call while he having several conversations with Russian President Putin. And of course, as your listeners may know, there's a bit of background to that because the U.S. intelligence agencies hold the Saudi crown prince responsible for the murder and dismemberment of the journalist Jamal Khashoggi. And President Biden during his election campaign had said that he would make the crown prince into a pariah. So there's not much of love lost there. And Secretary of State Anthony Blinken was asked about this and he sort of downplayed it and said, oh, you know, uh, President Biden had spoken with the Saudi king in February and, you know, we're in constant conversation and said, basically, there uh, may be some good news that the United Arab Emirates are now saying they support that OPEC would increase production. Of course, it's not for them alone to decide. So it'll be interesting to see just how willing the Gulf states are and OPEC, who can, of course, you know, make a nice profit on the situation and may not be especially willing to help Biden, especially since the U.S. has also cut support for the operations going on in Yemen and the war there. So to see how willing they will be to step in and help out the situation. And it's not just the Gulf nations either. 
The United States is talking to Venezuela for the first time in years, suggesting perhaps an easing of existing U.S. sanctions on Venezuelan oil, if perhaps the U.S. can get its hands on some of that oil. Same with talking to the Saudis. And also, we heard some word in the previous few days that there's been movement to redoing and reigniting the Iran nuclear deal. And if that gets revived, there's going to be more Iranian oil on the market. And that also should bring prices down and try and allay fears that there's going to be a fuel shortage around the world. Also, Republican lawmakers are saying that the U.S. should look to its own oil reserves. The U.S produces enough oil so that it is a net exporter of oil. A lot of that has to do with the fact that much of the oil in the United States can't be refined here in the United States. But even if you were to put more derricks into the ground and start drilling for oil today, it's going to be months, if not years, before some of that oil gets out onto the market. There are suggestions in order to try and help with prices for the U.S. federal excise tax on gasoline, along with some of the state taxes on gasoline to be temporarily suspended so that consumers can get a little bit of of a break on the prices. That's still something that is going to be discussed and debated over the next few weeks. That said, the gas supply is expensive. It's the highest I've seen in years, but people are still using it and buying it and still driving. So and looking at another aspect of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, U.S. officials and lawmakers debated imposing a no-fly zone over Ukraine while also acknowledging possible plans to backfill the needs of Poland should it decide to send fighter jets to battle against the Russians. So what would you say is the latest on this debate of imposing a no-fly zone over Ukraine? Well, Secretary Blinken was asked about this again and again explained that it's not as simple as some people may think. And a lot of people are frustrated seeing these Russian bombs fall indiscriminately on so many Ukrainian cities and killing civilians. The civilian death toll is mounting. But Blinken explained that if for the U.S. were to impose a no-fly zone, that would basically mean the U.S. shooting down Russian planes. And that would likely be seen as the U.S. entering the war and could very easily escalate into, of course, you know, Russia having nuclear weapons and having also threatened to use them if necessary. So Blinken said the U.S. is not planning on sending troops, including not sending pilots, American pilots, into the air over Ukraine. So Blinken was standing with UK Foreign Secretary Liz Truss, and she said the same thing. And she said it would be better to send air defense systems, and the UK is sending now air defense systems to Ukraine. And the US has also said sending in these, as Poland caught everyone by surprise, by saying that they would basically give their jet fighters, their MiG-29s, to the US air base in Ramstein, Germany. And Basically, the U.S. can take care of getting them into Ukraine. And the U.S. has said this would be very risky. Again, this could be seen as an act of war by Putin. And also with the Pentagon saying they're not sure that this would really make sense, that this would really help Ukraine that much. 
one of the reasons it may not necessarily help Ukraine is that we're not seeing so many Russian jets making these attacks. Most of the attacks that are on Ukraine are coming from general artillery, and it's not so much planes flying over Ukraine and dropping bombs. Most of the bombs are coming from various different positions on the ground and being lobbed over either from Russia or from places within Ukraine that Russia occupies. So the whole idea of a no-fly zone may be way too risky for NATO allies to take because it could be seen as a direct confrontation with Russia, especially by Russian President Putin. And Vice President Kamala Harris told the people of Poland that the relationship between Poland and the U.S. is stronger than ever. She also met and spent some time speaking with the president of Poland. But was this message that she delivered, is this what people wanted to hear? And in what ways will the U.S. support Poland? Not quite sure if it's exactly what the people of Poland wanted to hear. It seems like the people of Poland right now want aid to help in dealing with the incredible influx of refugees that are pouring across the border. I was shocked earlier in the week when the number of refugees went from a little more than a million on one day and then the next morning it was more than two million. It is a truly humanitarian nightmare that's going on right now in Europe. There have been more refugees flooding into Europe in the last two weeks than total from Syria in 2015 and 2016. So you can get a a sense of how much of a humanitarian disaster this could be. Yes, that is true. And we will talk a little bit more about that. We will take a quick break. And when we return, As Steve pointed out, millions of people, mostly women and children, have fled Ukraine to neighboring countries since the Russian invasion began on February 24th. Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voanews.com. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. Then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panel via Skype, VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent Cindy Sane and VOA away executive producer Steve Reddish. Well, in freezing temperatures, groups of mainly women and children have been arriving at Ukraine's borders with eastern Poland, Slovakia and Hungary, and with northern and northeastern Romania and Moldova. It's estimated millions more will pour into these countries. It's being called Europe's worst refugee crisis since World War II. So in looking at this humanitarian crisis, what is being done to assist these countries? Right. Well, Kim, Vice President Harris just announced another $53 million in U.S. assistance, humanitarian assistance, including food to these refugees. And as Steve said, Poland alone has really opened up their hearts and their homes and taken in more than one million refugees. It has just been amazing to see people driving in their private cars to the border to pick up refugees, Germans going to the train station in Berlin 
and holding up signs saying, you know, I can take three people or whatever, picking up refugees and these countries in Europe doing so much to take them in. But we did have the Polish president standing beside Harris talking about this is getting to be a refugee disaster and basically asking for more help and also asking for the United States to expedite its process to take in Ukrainians and Poland who want to go to the U.S. to be with family members. And I think you'll see more and more that the countries right there in Europe who have taken in so many people will ask the U.S. and the U.K. to step up a bit and take in more refugees. Agree. I think you're going to see that as the pressure on Poland and the other countries swell with even more refugees coming out over the next week or two, that pressure is going to have to be diffused by European Union countries as well as the United States. And pressure will be building on President Biden and the Biden administration to start taking in more of these Ukrainian refugees. As we are talking about this big humanitarian disaster, attempts to create corridors for safe evacuations have been hurt by the continued fighting and objections to proposed routes for the people. So do we know at this point what is the status of these evacuation routes? Some of these evacuation routes that the uh, so-called humanitarian corridors that Russia has opened up ended up leading into Russia or into Belarus. And the Secretary Blinken said that this was absurd and this was actually offensive to have people who are fleeing Russian bombs then be led into Russia or Belarus, which is basically their leader is supporting Putin, that these are not humanitarian corridors. And we've seen over and over again a so-called fire and then people making their way across makeshift bridges, basically two planks put across a river and, and then being bombed. So, so far, Russia has not been honoring its words with these humanitarian corridors. Congress has passed a bipartisan bill that will include about $14 billion in emergency funding to boost humanitarian security and economic assistance for Ukraine and Central European allies amid this Russian invasion. This is part of a sweeping legislation. Steve, how long will this process take before it actually is able to get to the people and how will the money be used for the Ukrainians? First of all, it's really amazing to see how the attack on Ukraine has really brought together the American body politic. The $14 billion in emergency funding that Congress is trying to pass and will likely pass comes at a fortuitous time for President Biden and the Democrats who have included the Ukraine funding in this overall bill that funds the U.S. government through the rest of the fiscal year. That bill had been very difficult to get passed. The United States had been working on something called a continuing resolution, which basically extends the budget that has already been passed in order to pay for what the government spends. So by putting this $14 billion of emergency funding into this bill, President Biden now has a budget that he can work with and uses his priorities in conducting domestic business. What is this money going to go for as far as going to Ukraine? Most of it is going to be going for humanitarian purposes in order to help the Ukrainian people directly. It will also include probably some 
defensive systems and stuff. But most of that is being moved through various different military circles. This humanitarian crisis that was created in Ukraine because of the Russian invasion has unified Republican and Democratic congressional leaders. But looking ahead to the midterms in November, how is this going to play out? I certainly expect Republicans to use the high gas prices if the gas prices continue to be high through the rest of the year as a political wedge against Biden, even though most Americans say that they're willing to pay the higher gas prices. I don't know how the rest of supporting Ukraine may be used as a political weapon against Biden. But for sure, any pain that Americans feel because of what's going on in Ukraine will be used by Republicans as political weapons in the November midterm elections. And just to get our last topic in, in Washington, D.C., the first January 6th Capitol riot defendant to go on trial has been found guilty by a jury. 49-year-old Guy Reffitt of Texas was found guilty on all five charges he faced, including obstruction of an official proceeding, carrying a firearm during the attack and threatening witnesses. His sentencing is scheduled for June of this year. So what message is this verdict sending to the other 700 plus defendants charged in connection with the attack on the Capitol? Well, you mentioned the obstruction of an official proceeding charge. That's the biggest charge against this guy and most of the others arrested in the Capitol attack. This is the first time it went to trial, so it got tested by a jury, and a jury came back with a unanimous verdict of guilty for that count of obstructing an official proceeding. Now, prosecutors may be able to use that obstruction of an official proceeding of Congress in charging more people higher up the food chain as far as the planners, some of the advisors to President Trump, and perhaps even President Trump himself, as far as being charged with obstruction of an official proceeding of Congress. It remains to be seen whether or not higher ups get charged, but being able to clear this hurdle with a jury is very important for U.S. Justice Department prosecutors as we move through the various different cases. That's a very interesting point, Steve. And I think also that since that he was found guilty on all counts, it may also send a message to others. And there's more than 700 people who have been charged for storming the Capitol on the day that members of Congress were meeting to certify Joe Biden as the rightful winner in the election. And the goal was to prevent them basically to stop the peaceful transfer of power in the United States. So maybe others who are deciding whether to plead guilty or go to trial may think it might be better just to settle and to plead guilty instead of going to trial. And the human aspect of this was also very interesting because this man who basically had a megaphone and was firing on others to attack law enforcement officers at the Capitol, he was turned in by his young son, 18 or 19 year old son who contacted the FBI. Yeah, very interesting. The son testified against his father and told the jury that when his father came home to Texas from the U.S. Capitol and the attack, he told his children, if you turn me in, you're a traitor and traitors get shot. 
And even one juror said some of the most devastating evidence against Refid were the recordings of him repeatedly vowing to drag Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi and other lawmakers from the Capitol, saying, quote, his own words played a big part in how we looked at the evidence, unquote. So as you all pointed out, this is sending a very strong message and it may have some of the defendants really look at their own situations. You mentioned, Kim, that the sentencing will happen in June. If Guy Reffert gets a very heavy sentence, that will send a message to the rest of those who are either awaiting trial or trying to decide, should I plead guilty or should I go to trial? A heavy sentence will make that decision a lot easier for many of those who are charged in the attack. Absolutely. And that's all the time we have. I want to thank our panelists, VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent Cindy Sane and VOA Executive Producer Steve Reddish. I'm Kim Lewis. Thanks for joining our discussion of Issues in the News. (music) 